Welcome to Wine Country Women with Michelle Mandreau, the podcast for wine enthusiasts who are curious not only about what goes in the bottle, but the remarkable women who make these distinctive winemaking regions so special. Each week, Michelle introduces you to a prominent woman and takes a peek inside her life. Welcome to today's Wine Country Women podcast. I'm Michelle Mandreau, and I am with Joyce Stabbert, who is the executive director of the Oakville Wine Growers in the Napa Valley. Joyce, you and I have known each other, I don't know, 15, 20 years. Yeah. But we haven't seen each other lately, so this is going to be super fun to catch up. And yeah. Also share your story. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. And it's yeah. great to see you again. Oh, thank you. I've been Super following your, your books and, and I love what you're doing. Wine Country Women is a wonderful, wonderful way to highlight so many women in the industry because there are more and more all the time and it's great to see the strides that we're making. So thank you for bringing attention to that. I appreciate that. And you're doing a lot of great things too. Yeah. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. Let's talk about how you got to where you are today. Mm, yeah, that's a good story. <laughs> so you actually grew up on Long Island, mm -hmm. went to school at Cal State University. Mm -hmm. I've got to ask, when you went to school, what did you think you wanted to be? Oh, gosh. Well, when I was in high school, I actually wanted to be an architect. Mm. And I had all these plans to try to get into Cornell and go through their architecture program. And when I was halfway through my junior year of high school, my dad came home one day and said, I'm being transferred to California and we're all, we're all moving. Which was, you know, devastating on one hand at that time of your life to think about moving. And uh, I remember I went down and spoke to my guidance counselor and I said, I do not want to do a senior year in a strange place in a new school and she said well you don't have to you have enough I was in the you know the advanced placement stuff and she said you can just graduate at the end of your junior year you have enough credits so that's what I did and then we moved to California and it was a little late to apply to colleges and so forth so I took a little time off and then by that time I guess because the whole Cornell thing kind of fell by the wayside I kind of lost the passion for the architecture thing, which is unfortunate in a way. I sort of regret that. But uh, I started um, kind of getting interested more in communications and design, specifically graphic design. So Cal State Fullerton had a really good communications program, and so I decided to go there and kind of went down that path instead. And um, it's it's been great. It's worked out really well for me. There's still a lot of creativity to it, and I think that's what I was seeking, is just something where I could create something. So first job, what was it? Well, I kind of went into the publishing world. Um, I worked for a very short period of time with an internship at, that then turned into a job with a little tiny company called Grubstake Media. And funny, we've been talking about books. They, they were a book publisher. And they were doing books on sailboarding. And this was in Southern California. And, you know, so we were taking all these photo shoots, you know, out on the beach. And I learned to sailboard. And it was, it was a lot of fun. And then from that, I went to um, a publishing company called New Homes Magazine. And they were doing all the, you know, real estate of all the development that was happening in Orange County back in the 80s. And I was a production coordinator. So just, you know, making sure all the pretty pictures came through and everything got put together in time to be printed in the magazine. It was good. It was fun. Okay, so it warrants the question, how did you land in the Napa <laughs> Valley? Because your first big job was to work at Robert Mondavi Winery in yeah. 1995. Yeah. Well, actually, I started with them before that. And um, 
when I was in college, I worked at a little furniture store uh, called Huddle, and they made very high-end children's furniture. And on Saturdays, there was a guy named Bill Bailey who worked there with me. He was 10 years older than me to the day. We had the same birthday, and we just got along famously. And he and his wife were, you know, foodies before we really even knew what the term foodies was, right? And um, he started bringing bottles of wine in on, on Saturdays, and we'd kind of keep them under the desk and sip on them. And he started teaching me about wine. And I just, I fell in love with just their whole lifestyle of food and wine. And they'd come up to Napa every year, and he'd tell me these stories. And so I just had this very, you know, glowing, idealistic view of what Napa Valley was. So years later, um, in my late 20s, and now I have been to Napa Valley and fallen in love with it and collecting wine, and my favorite brand was Robert Mondavi at the time, and I'm reading the newspaper one day, and it says that Robert Mondavi had opened a wine and food education center in Costa Mesa, and I was like, oh my god, they're here, this is amazing. So I reached out to get on the mailing list and gave them my information, hung up the phone. And at the time, I had my own business doing graphic design. And I was doing, you know, logos and brochures and things like that for small businesses. And I thought, well, maybe they could use some help. So I called back again, and I don't even know how, managed to get through to the general manager. And we had a very nice phone conversation. And he said, well, we don't really know what we need. We just opened the doors literally this week. So why don't you come over and, and talk to us? So I did, and we hit it off, and he said, uh, well, we don't have any business cards, we don't have any brochures, we don't have a mailing list, we have no idea what we're doing here, so yeah, why don't you come in and work a couple days a week with us? So I did that, and after about three months, they asked me if I would come on full-time, so I shut down my business, and that was sort of the, the beginning. Start of it all. Yeah, oh. and I just was so enamored of it all, and back in those days, the Madavis were they were always lovely people, but you know they hadn't been, become a public company yet, and so it was very family oriented. And they saw sort of a passion and a and a talent in me, and they really invested in my career in the in the way of teaching me about food, teaching me about wine, which I, you know, was was a hobby, but I had no professional experience with it whatsoever. And within about two years I was promoted to director of the center and was running the place which was kind of crazy but I loved it you know when you when you have a passion for something it all just kind of falls into place and so I think that that was that pivotal moment in my life that sort of told me this is what I want to do for my career and then you relocated to Napa Valley yeah there was a little bit of stuff in between um I was married to my first husband at the time he was looking for something new to do and um, we made the decision to invest in a microbrewery in Colorado. Oh, okay. And so <laughs> he moved out there a year before I did. It was is the early 90s when there was kind of a recession and real estate sort of slowed way down and it took us a long time to sell our house. Right. So I stayed behind and continued working at the Wine and Food Center, you know, paid all the bills, all that stuff while he was out there getting things started. And um, anyway, long story short, I was devastated to give up my job but I had told him I would so I did and I moved and you spending a year apart was not the best thing for our relationship we we both changed and we kind of lost something I don't know but you lost that love and feeling we did we did <laughs> and so I only stayed in Denver about a year and then I went to Chicago for a little bit and I worked uh, for the Four Seasons Hotel downtown Chicago 
which was a really good experience. It was sort of a step backwards for me in a way, but it, but it also um, taught me kind of the, the restaurant food and wine industry from a very hands-on level as opposed to a higher level management level. I was managing the lounge and the bar, the Four Seasons, but it was good. But again, wasn't my dream job. And my old boss from Mandavi called one day just to see how I was doing. And I had, you know, it was freezing. It was like 12 below and didn't love the job. And I expressed all of that to him. And he said, well, maybe we can find something for you out here. And I was like, oh, my God, that'd be amazing. And he called me back about two weeks later. And he said, yeah, we have a, we have a position for you. Got to apply for it. And, you know, go right. through all of that. But I did. So I moved to Napa Valley in 1995. And I uh, took over as the vineyard room manager, running all the events and things at Robert Madavi. And a couple of years after that, I was promoted to director of visitor programs. And then I was kind of pretty much anything at the winery that wasn't production. So tours, retail, special events all of that um, and it was a ton of fun it's a great, great those experience. are the heydays right? yeah yeah it really was it was a wonderful time in the valley and a wonderful time at Robert Madavi too so to accelerate your career so we can get to the Oakville wine growers you went on to work for Quintessa mm-hmm. another fantastic brand Barniente yes and then you went to Foggy Bridge and if memory serves me right, that's in San Francisco. Well, it was the thing that never was, unfortunately. So um, I married my husband, Stephen, in 2004, and uh, we made the decision to live in San Francisco. So I moved there in 05. I did some PR work for a while, but then I met this gentleman who was going to start a winery on Chrissy Field called Foggy Bridge. We had Daryl Groom as our winemaker, Holly Myers as our marketing director, and I was coming on board as general manager. And to make a very long story short, um, the Presidio Trust, we still don't really know what happened, but they somehow pulled the plug on giving us those buildings down at the end of Chrissy Field. There was a major donor involved who didn't like the idea of a winery down there. So we lost those buildings. We looked at a lot of other things in the park, and none of them were really right. You know, those old airplane hangars that sit right there, practically on the beach, looking right up at the Golden Gate Bridge, it would have been a spectacular project, but uh, it just never came together. And so we we spent a couple of years actually, you know, building that all up only to have it not happen, which was unfortunate. But great experience. It was great experience, yes. I learned a lot, and, um, you know, as far as just the whole entrepreneurial side of setting up a winery, all the licensing and everything that we went through. And it was right about as that thing was wrapping up that a friend of mine told me that Oakville Wine Growers was looking for a new executive director. I think I was a little disillusioned with all of that, and so the idea of kind of coming back to something that was familiar to me, back to Napa Valley, back to Oakville, just felt like coming home and so so I applied and here I am still here almost 13 years later yeah yeah so let's talk about the Oakville wine growers many believe Oakville is the best yes (laughs) yes that's we hear that from time to time yeah so what what would you say the the purpose of the association is from your standpoint? Well, it was founded, the AVA was approved in 1993. The association was officially founded in 96. So it took a couple of years to, to pull it all together. It was very small in the beginning. I think there's only about 15 members. Today we have about 72 members. And the idea was, you know, the AVA system was, was new uh, at that time. And um, Napa Valley was just starting to separate 
and have those identities of different growing regions. And so the goal of the association was just to, to bring those people together that were here in Oakville and to spread the word of what is special about Oakville? Why, why are we here and what are we doing? And um, it's evolved over the years. And I'm always just so impressed at the, the people in our membership because as we all know, the Appalachians of Napa Valley are, are a little more geographical, political than they are based on exact soil types or climates or so forth. Is it really all that different when you cross the line from Oakville to Rutherford? So to me, what makes the AVAs unique has very much to do with the people, the people that are in each of them. And that creates a lot of the personality in addition to the terroir and the climate and all the other things that, that, that matter, of course. And Oakville just has, you know, a lot of family-owned, long-term properties. Tom Garrett from Dieter, the McDonald brothers. Obviously, Robert Madavi goes back to the 60s. Uh, Ren and Marilyn Harris with Paradigm. You know, these are some, some very deep roots. The, the folks at Napa Wine Company, the Hoxie family, you know, their great-grandfather, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure if I have enough greats in there, but bought 32 acres of land for a $10 gold coin in 1903. You know, so we have some really long-standing roots. Farniente goes back to 1885. So I think there's a soulfulness to Oakville that comes from that history. Under your leadership, what do you think you've brought to the association? What I try to do is to bring together that talent that's there and find creative ways to tell that story to the world. I've redone the website. There's more information there. We have done more events since I've been on board. We now do an event at Carnegie Hall every other year, Taste of Oakville Carnegie Hall. For the first time just last month in May, we did our first international event, Taste of Oakville of London. So we're really trying to expand our horizons and I'm a good organizer, I guess, is probably my best skill set. And as you said earlier, dealing with a large group like that, it's hurting cats a little bit. And so the skill is in how do you bring everybody together and do something cohesive that hopefully will serve all of their needs, too. Because we have a, we have a huge variety. We have, you know, large wineries like Robert Madavi or Opus or, or uh, Groth or Farniente. And then we have little tiny ones that make just a few hundred cases. So. Right. You sort of have to find a way to, to make these things work for, for everyone. You also have the Taste of Oakville. Mm-hmm. Is it open for consumers? No. No, no it's, it's a trade Trade-only event. event, although we, we have had some conversations about creating a consumer event. We just aren't quite there yet, but I think, I think we will. We do do a consumer element to the event in New York at Carnegie Hall. There's trade things happening during the day, and then there's a consumer event in the evening. Okay, so you do it in New York, but you don't do it here. (laughs) Interesting. But you're bringing Oakville to New York, and that's super. Yeah. I read somewhere that there's... there was a project, and I'm not sure if it's still going, called Oakville Cuvée. Mm-hmm. Was that your idea? No, that existed before I came along. Um, it was actually the idea of Larry McGuire, who was the uh, CEO of Farniente, as you know. They were looking for another way to raise funds for the organization without having to raise dues. And uh, Larry came up with the idea of a blended wine that would bring together 
wine from all the different members. And so that's exactly what it is. We Each year we ask our members to donate five gallons of their best uh, Cabernet, or it can be a blend, you know, if it's got a little Merlot or Cab Franc or something in it, that's fine. And then one winery will take on that project for three years, and they will do the blending, bottling, handle the, the execution of the sales, invoicing, all of that sort of thing. And where is that sold? That is mostly sold. We do a little direct to consumer, um, but it's mostly sold through retail entities. Um, Acme Fine Wines in St. Helena is one of our best wine country connection in Yauntville. Bounty Hunter, Porthos has sold quite a bit of it over the years. So uh, Wine Spectrum in Santa Rosa. So those organizations that have an existing clientele. Um, the wine is expensive and it's very rare. We don't make very much. So it's the kind of thing where you kind of, somebody needs to pick up the phone and call the right person and say, we have this available, are you interested? And so we really rely on those folks to, to make that happen for us. And when is it typically available every year? We usually release it in the spring. Okay. Roughly around May 1st. So it's already gone. Well, we didn't make a 2020 vintage. Oh, right. So we don't have one for this year. So I still have some 2019 that we held back okay. to be able to sell this year, and then we'll release the 2021 next year. Okay. Top moment of your career so far? You know, I, I get, I'm not really sure I could say that there's a moment. I think the, ju- the role that I have now is sort of a, a culmination for me of all the different things that I've done, and it allows me to bring all the skills that I've learned over my career, even the graphic design. You know, I, I do all the graphic design work for Oakville Wine Growers. I create the website and so forth. So it's kind of like having my own little business in a way. You know, I report to a board of directors that I see once a month. They're amazing people, but they give me a lot of freedom to manage this as I see fit. And, and I really enjoy that. I love the idea that I wear a lot of different hats and I do a lot of different things. So if I look back at my career, I think this this role specifically really works for me. Because it pulls together all your talents. Exactly. Specific to your wine career, is there someone that has inspired you along the way or mentored you? Oh, that you can gosh. Speak to? Yeah, well, you know, Robert Madavi, obviously. Right. I mean, I, I didn't work on a daily basis with him, but I certainly interacted with both he and Margaret a lot because you know visitor programs was Margaret's world she created all of that and so of course I worked very closely with her learned so much from her um, so she was definitely a mentor to me um, and my my sort of direct boss at that time when I first came to Napa was Peter Ventura which was Robert's nephew and he was a character, and we actually got along really well, and, and he also was a great mentor to me. Um, he, he believed in me. He worked towards giving me the education that I needed to have to do the job well, so I felt very supported during those days. Learn more about the women who live in wine country when you purchase one of our lifestyle books at winecountrywomen.com. You live in the town of Napa. I do. You've actually had your home for quite some time. Mm -hmm. How did you choose to buy a place in Napa? Affordability or... Yeah. uh, You know, when I first moved... Or cute factor. (laughs) A little bit of both. When I first moved to the Valley, I had rented a house in St. Helena, which I just loved. And uh, I was right on Main Street, kind of watched the world go by from my front porch. It was a cute little house built in 1906. 
So when I first started looking, I really did want to buy in St. Helena, but it was just out of my reach. I was newly divorced and, you know, <laughs> just making my way as a single woman and it wasn't going to work for me. So I started looking in Napa and I must have looked at, I don't know, 15 houses at least and none of them were quite right. And then came across this one. It's it's downtown. Uh, it was built in 1941, has a great deal of charm, beautiful backyard. I have two giant redwood trees in the backyard. And uh, I pretty much made the offer on the spot, and luckily I got it. All the years that I lived in San Francisco uh, with my husband, Stephen, uh, I had it rented. We just decided it was worth keeping, and I'm very glad we did, because now we're back there. We moved right. back in 2018. And somebody else got to pay the mortgage. That's right, exactly. <laughs> That's even better yet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, now that you're back, if we took a step inside your home, what would we see? What's your decorating style? Um, it's pretty, I love warm. I love warm colors. Um, I, I repaint a lot. I get bored with room colors and then decide I need something different. So What's on the walls now? Uh, let's see. The, the living dining area is just kind of a very warm, uh, almost the color of my jacket, kind of a tan saddle color, very cozy. And uh, I've gone a little bit into the, the gray world uh, with a gray couch and, and a gray rug. But um, there's pops of color, some orange and so forth. And, and uh, I, I just like a warm feeling. During COVID, I repainted our bedroom. I got tired of the green and I felt like I needed brightness because everything felt so dark. And so I painted it like a vanilla color. And now I'm just going, eh, it's so bland. I think I need some color. So I'll probably repaint that again. But, um, but you know, I'm not big on, on clutter. Um, mm -hmm. It's I like to keep things kind of simple. And of course the house was built in 1941. So I also like to be true to the style of the home so it's got kind of a mid-century vibe I would say somewhat favorite room in the house the backyard <laughs> <laughs> sitting out there on a beautiful summer night under those a glass red of wine woods. under those redwoods yeah it's just it's very we back up to a creek so it's kind of private mm -hmm. and um it's just uh it's a lovely place to be in the summertime Napa wine train oh, yeah, going by right now. Yeah, we're having a little, a little earthquake from the Napa yes, wine train. Got a little by. ambiance going on. <laughs> when you kick back and relax, mm -hmm. what kind of music do you like to listen to? God, like everything. My uh, my husband and I both were pretty eclectic in our music choices. He he's a Spotify guy, and he must have. 50 different playlists, and some are called you know summer pool party and hippity hop and uh as close as i'll get to country and you know he's got all these crazy names for all of his playlists and they're all very unique and and different so i would say if we kind of were to settle in on one genre it would be sort of adult alternative singer songwriter we're kind of really loving brandy carlisle right now she's okay. awesome we went and saw her at red rocks in colorado and she just puts on an amazing show that's good, a fantastic good human being yeah too. Uh, yeah i mean anybody you see there it's spectacular but if you get to see someone you really love it's, it's a bonus special. yeah yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> so i can't even believe i'm going to ask this question but <laughs> do you have a hobby do you collect anything do you uh, have a time for a hobby you know i kind of don't right now to be honest um i used to play the guitar oh, when i was wow. younger mm -hmm. and i still have the guitar that my parents gifted me for my 16th birthday oh wow and my husband plays it more than I do because he's retired 
Um, but that's something I would like to get back into. So I kind of dabble with it every now and then when I have a little bit of time, but I'm terrible. It's not like riding a bike. I got to start all over again. And uh, so that'll be something for my future retirement project. Oh, she's not <laughs> retiring anytime soon. No, not anytime soon, no. Other than guitar playing, is there anything else that people might be surprised to learn about you? Do you rappel down mountains, skydive? Did you do something wild and crazy as a child? On no, I'm Long a Capricorn, Island. so <laughs> I'm not uh, not the wild and crazy type necessarily. But probably the thing that would surprise people about me is that I love to do like little projects around the house. I have changed light fixtures, I've uh, ceramic tiled floors, I've built shelves in the garage, I've, oh God, I just converted an old cabinet in the kitchen to a spice rack. Um, I just, <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um, I love to, you know, if there's some crazy piece of Ikea furniture that has 9,000 bolts and screws, I love putting those things together. Wow. I, I think that goes back to kind of that architecture side of me. Right. Um, I like to, to, like projects, I like to create things. So that sense of satisfaction after I've accomplished something like when that. When you've completed feels it. Feels really good. Yeah. Okay. So I love that sort of thing. <laughs> my husband, and my husband's just the opposite. <laughs> he, I don't let him even drill a hole in the wall because it'll end up being two feet big. He's, he's not good at that stuff. So he does all the shopping and cooking and all of that stuff. And, uh, and I do the sort of guy work you <laughs> divide life. and conquer yes what do you think a secret to a successful dinner party is you know I think the most important thing is is the people you know obviously um but I like to sort of set the stage um I always like to make a really pretty table you know nice table linens and glassware and beautiful flowers and um nice music my husband and I will spend hours planning a menu uh, he'll run out and do all the shopping. I'm kind of the pastry chef. That's the one thing that I do do. He doesn't do desserts. What's your go-to pastry that's always a crowd pleaser? Uh, probably creme brulee. Everybody loves that. It's not too complicated. You can make it ahead of time. It's, you know, you can add different flavors to it. He loves to do Mexican dinners, like multi-course kind of high-end Mexican food. And so uh, I found this recipe from Rick Bayless for a... Mexican chocolate pepita cake and you actually grind up the pumpkin seeds into like a flour and it's it's really interesting and um, people always like that and so I don't know just whatever seems to fit you know the theme of whatever he's cooking I try okay. to fit into that. I'm sure you've done quite a bit of traveling. Yes. Is there a memorable trip that you can tell us about? They're all memorable, in my opinion, <laughs> because I love to travel. I mean, that's, I Make, guess if I said I had another hobby, it would be traveling. Travel. It's just that it's an expensive hobby and a time-consuming mm -hmm. hobby, but, um, but I, I love to travel. I just love to see other cultures, taste the food, drink the wines or the cocktails or whatever, the beer, you know, if we're talking about uh, Dublin, it's the Guinness. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, I've had, and I've been to quite a few wine regions, both on my own and with Oakville Wine Growers. Uh, they're amazing. We just got back from uh, a week going through Ribera del Duero and Rioja in Spain. Just learned so much. And it, when it relates to, to wine trips, 
what I'm always amazed by is it doesn't matter what language we're speaking, it doesn't matter where we are, there is such a, a bond and such a passion in, in the wine community, and I, I still think that that's what has drawn me to this in the first place. Um, and when you can go to a foreign country and share that same passion and interest for something, it really is, it's such a, it just brings people together, and I, I love that about it. But one of, one of the more memorable trips was um, going to Scotland and doing a little bit of um, my roots research and finding a castle that my uh, family was connected to back in the 1300s and then going and visiting the castle. And it was a gorgeous, gorgeous day and it sat right on the edge overlooking the ocean. And it was just, it was called Tentallen and it's just a beautiful, beautiful place. And uh, it was just a weird feeling of connection to that place, which is unexplainable. Why didn't you <laughs> inherit the castle? We didn't own it. We were part of the clan that, that owned, it was the Douglas clan. Oh. And we were associated with the Douglas King, but we were not the Douglases. So, yeah, I know. It would have been nice if it worked out that way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that sounds spectacular, for sure. Yeah, it was fun. Well, we're going to wrap things up now with five quick questions, very, very light hearted. Okay. Okay. Ready? Yeah, I think so. Okay. What's your favorite flower? Tulips. What's one word that best describes you? It sounds so dull but I'd probably say responsible okay yeah it's not dull (laughs) what is your favorite wine pairing my husband's been making a lot of very traditional carbonara lately uh with the guanciale and you know the the bucatini and uh and we either will do that with like a beautiful Santa Lucia Highlands Pinot Noir or like an, a gorgeous, you know, Napa Chardonnay like Forniente, um, depending on our mood. And I think they both work really well. Okay. Dream dinner guest. Bono from U2. Okay. Actually, anybody <laughs> from U2, but specifically Bono. <laughs> Favorite city to visit? God, that's a tough one. Uh, there's so many. Um the one you can go back again and again and again and never it never gets old new york yeah it's a little bit of home to me and i think because i grew up on long island i always anticipated that i would live in manhattan one day and i never did because we moved to california so whenever i'm there i i am like wow this is the thing i didn't get to do so it sort of fills a little a little hole for me Okay. Well, Joyce, you have been a delight. <laughs> Thank you so much. Of course. Much. And um, it's been so much fun. It's been really fun. Thank you so much for taking the time and, and the interest. I really appreciate it. Visit winecountrywomen.com to join our exclusive list so you can be the first to learn about upcoming offers and events. Grab a glass and join us next week for a new edition of Wine Country Women.